This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Tax credit scholarships are the most popular of all school choice programs. In the recently completed Education Next survey, over 60% of the American public expressed support for tax credits. Over 70% of Black and Hispanic Americans said they were a good idea. 17 states have set up tax credit scholarship programs. The largest and most carefully studied tax credit program is to be found in Florida. It was founded in 2001 and it has been promoted and enhanced by the work of Step Up for Students, an influential school choice program based in Tampa Bay, Florida. I'm very pleased to have on the Education Exchange today, John Kirtley, the founder and chair of the board of Step Up for Students. John, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Very happy to be here. Thank you, Paul. Well, John, Florida has been on the front page of nearly every newspaper in the country the last uh, few days and weeks. If it's not Donald Trump, it's Ron DeSantis. And then comes Hurricane Ian. So I hope you and your family all survived the hurricane without too we much. Did. We did. I live in Tampa, and Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay has been extremely lucky for the last 100 years. Somehow we keep escaping uh, a direct hit. Uh, obviously, I feel very... Uh, I feel very much for the people south of us. In fact, my, a lot of my family are in Sarasota, which also narrowly missed a lot of damage. And just south of there was where it was hardest hit. So we, we certainly send out our, our, our best wishes to everybody down there. So how about the schools in the, that participate in the program? Did any schools get badly hit? And we are still, good question. We're still trying to gather all that information. Interestingly, Southwest, we have about, uh, around 2,000 private schools in the state of Florida that serve step-up kids on, on private school scholarships. The area, the geographic area that has the smallest concentration is actually Southwest Florida. So we're hoping, we're, we're still gathering information. We're hoping that not many of them were hit. But I know for a fact, because I've been reading about it, that a lot of the, uh, sadly, a lot of the public schools uh, in those areas were, were badly hit. So I, we certainly, our thoughts go out to them. Well, it's sort of sad to see further disruption of the educational process. But tell me, how big is Step Up or the, the tax credit scholarship program? Or maybe even back up a little bit further and say, what is the school choice landscape like in Florida? Florida had Jeb Bush as governor. He was a very, very committed supporter of school choice back at the turn of the century. Uh, and I think his impact is still felt. I think it's a You've got more things going in Florida than anywhere else in the country, I believe. Yeah, Paul, thanks for the question. I think that's the right way to start. In, in 1998, the definition of public education in Florida was pretty similar to where what was in every other state. In 1998, you know, the definition was let's raise taxpayer dollars to educate kids. Let's give every penny to the school districts. The school dist districts will run all the schools in a, in a fairly uniform manner. Or they, or they try to. And then we assign kids by zip code. That was public education in Florida. And you fast forward to today, and we have about 3 million kids, K-12, in Florida, whose educations are paid for by the taxpayers. And now roughly half of them do not attend their zoned district school. Oh, you've got 50% of the population choosing the school they're going to. 
but still most of them are going to a, what's called a traditional public school. Isn't well, that? Uh, of that 50%, the largest category of choice is in fact district run schools of choice, whether that be magnets, which is the, the biggest category. Uh, there are some uh, districts that have a lot of open enrollment, which is great. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the largest category of parents choosing, they are choosing schools run by the district with unionized employees, which is fantastic. Uh, but you also have about 360,000 kids attending charter schools. You have now, let me think, uh, about almost 250,000 kids attending private schools using taxpayer funds either directly or indirectly through the tax credit program. You have kids on virtual, you know, taking virtual classes being paid for by the taxpayers. And now you, you have parents that are beginning to combine different providers and different delivery methods all at the same time, which is I think a, a wave of the future. So we'll talk about that wave of the future because uh, that's an interesting new development. But uh, first of all, just tell me a little bit more about the tax credit program and about Step Up and and how it e has evolved and and how you know how is it operating today? Sure. Well, uh, the origins of Step Up are quite humble. Uh, back in 1997, I believe it was, I began just myself working on creating a totally privately funded scholarship program in Tampa Bay, basically the counties of Hillsborough and Pinellas, to offer the opportunity to very low income families to get financial help to send their child, if they wanted, to a private school. And I, I was very much a neophyte in both policy and politics at that time. And uh, I was inspired uh, to do this actually by, um, I, I, well, it's a, that's another long story, but I, was, I, I worked with a, a charity in New York City uh, that still exists today called the Patrons Program, which um, matches uh, people that, that wanna work with Catholic schools in the inner city, both with, money, but also with hopefully business expertise. I'm a public school kid all the way through and, and I grew up in Iowa and, and Florida in the public schools and my mom was a public school teacher. So I had no experience or no exposure to private education. So, um, but after being exposed to an inner city Catholic school in New York, I was intrigued by these parents who were just killing themselves to come up with the money to pay the, the very uh, meager tuition. And so I wanted to see if, if parents and families in Tampa Bay might want the same opportunity. And I had enough money myself just to offer uh, 350 scholarships, only $1,500 per kid for four years. And then while I was working on this, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal about these two gentlemen, John Walton and Ted Forsman, who started this nonprofit called the Children's Scholarship Fund. And I read that they wanted to find people in cities to partner with to give out scholarships to do what I was trying to do. So I, without an appointment, I flew up to New York City, went to their offices, not to John and Ted's, but to the staff and walked in and said, hey, I'm your guy in Tampa. And they said, great, we'll match your funds. And I said, well, that was easy. Uh, so we, all of a sudden we had enough funds for 700 scholarships. 
And uh, we didn't do really any advertising. It was just myself walking around to churches and housing projects talking about this program. And we got 12,000 applications for 700 scholarships in four months. And that's when I knew I'd sort of stumbled on something very powerful. Um, that was in 1998, which was the same year Jeb Bush was elected. So then when does this, in 2001, this actually turns into a government funded program or at least taxpayer funded. Yes, the legislature uh, in 2001 decided to create this program and, uh, and obviously Governor Bush enthusiastically uh, embraced it and signed it. And the way it works is companies can give a qualified nonprofit a dollar and then reduce certain state income taxes by a dollar so that it costs them nothing. It doesn't reduce their costs, but it doesn't, it doesn't cost them anything to participate. Essentially, they're redirecting their, their tax dollars. And there are several taxes that are eligible, state corporate income taxes. Florida has, uh, in fact, our biggest source is an a excise alcoholic beverage tax. Every time a distributor of alcohol sells a case of uh, alcohol, they have to pay a tax to the state. That's eligible. Insurance premium tax uh, and a couple others. Um, and the program now, it's grown from, in the first year, there were about 15,000 kids on the program uh, with about $50 million. That was the cap uh, on the program at the time. And this year, uh, well, a few years ago, we, we kind of hit a wall in terms of the amount of money that, that we could raise at around $700 million per year. I heard that there were groups out there that were organizing against businesses that contributed to the scholarship program so that a lot of businesses began to sort of say, this is too politically hot for us. To oh, get no, no, we, we've never, I mean, we, we, we've over the last 20 years, we've lost maybe three donors that were minor for that reason. I and mean, we're still raising the, the, the highest amount of money we've ever raised. It's just, it's really hard to raise a lot more than seven, seven, $800 million a year. Uh, and, and we kind of hit that wall a few years ago. And um, I don't want to get too detailed for your audience, but you know this quite well, Paul. Early on in the history of school choice in Florida, uh, in, in Jeb Bush's reform plan, there was a, a voucher a program, and it was based on the performance of, of public schools. If a public school got an F grade two times in a four-year period, then... But that program was declared unconstitutional, as I recall. Exactly, exactly. So it, it got never... It, it was in place for two, three years, but that's right. the one thing Florida still doesn't have, right? Is a, oh, no. So... so for many years, people thought with, 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 the, with the state Supreme, we had a very, what's called activist state Supreme Court, as opposed to a constructionist. And so they issued this ruling against Jeb Bush's voucher program, which was, uh, I, I kind of be very objective here, it was a, a creative interpretation of our state constitution, let's put it that way. I think they said something that the schools have to be part of a unified system. And this is well, it's we have we have something called the uniformity clause in our state constitution, which says Florida will create a uniform system of free, efficient, high quality 
and safe public schools, period. That's all it says. It doesn't say what it can't do. And the state Supreme Court back in, I guess, 2005 or six said, well, we, we have decided that that phrase says precludes Florida from doing anything else, including creating a state funded voucher program out of the state budget. And so <clears throat> um, in, in 2018, Ron DeSantis was elected governor. And it, it, it just so happened that three of the state Supreme Court justices had to retire. We have an age limit in our state. And uh, Governor DeSantis appointed uh, strict constructionists to the state Supreme Court. And um, so at, after that occurred, the really the risk of any kind of judicial uh, restraint on the structure of, of school choice was removed. And so remember, I was, as I mentioned at the time, we hit this wall of raising money at around 700 million um, and about 100,000 kids on the program, tax credit program. Uh, the legislature and Governor, Governor DeSantis created another program called the Family Empowerment Scholarship. And this is a, uh, a, a private school scholarship that's funded directly through the state budget, something that this, the previous state Supreme Court uh, said was not constitutional. But yeah, that sounds like a voucher program. To me. It is. It is. And the, the powers that, that the people that oppose choice um, have decided not to, to uh, um, sue. And uh, I mean, the, the Family Empowerment Scholarship now uh, has, gosh, uh, almost 100,000 kids on it, if I have that right. And so I think they realized that any, any constitutional challenge to that program would, would not be viewed favorably by the current state Supreme Court. So now we have, now we have two programs that, are, that are essentially have the same criteria you know, it's income-based, it's means-tested, but they have two different funding sources, one from the tax credit, one from the state budget. Well, John, let me ask you this question. Given the size of all these choice programs, is, is school choice a for in Florida that it isn't in other parts of the country? I know that people are talking about parents getting a lot more involved in politics and that the 2022 midterm elections could be shaped by education issues just as they were in Virginia and is is school choice something that's becoming so popular in Florida that you can't criticize it well I would say you can't criticize it but um, it's getting harder to be against empowering parents who want educational freedom when your constituents have it or want it, especially the former. And now, you know, we have, as I said earlier, you know, two, basically around 250,000 kids who are attending private schools on various programs using taxpayer funds directly or indirectly. We have, and a lot of the concentration of these students, you know, the, the programs are, are majority minority meaning you know, a minority of the kids on the programs are white. Uh, most, of, uh, most of them are kids of color. And the average household income for the means-tested program is around $40,000. So we have state Senate districts where there are 8,000 kids 
that are going to a private school on a state scholarship. That's a large number for a state Senate district. And, you know, many of them are, uh, you know, in single parent homes, but even in those single parent homes, sometimes a grandmother or another relative will live in the household. My point is there are voters in these households. And, you know, there's, there's, so there's well over 10,000 voters in that, those households with the 8,000 kids on scholarship. I mean, you got, if you're a, a, a candidate for the legislature and you are, you know, vocally against choice, you run, you run a major risk of, of losing a major part of support that you might normally get. Um, and this actually happened uh, on a grander scale uh, in the last governor's race. In 2018, we had a very interesting situation. Uh, it was a very, a very close race. Uh, the Democrats nominated uh, a, a very capable, very, very charismatic candidate, the mayor of Tallahassee, Andrew Gillum. A very compelling public speaker. He, he really uh, motivated a lot of people uh, in the Democratic Party to go vote. Uh, and the polls were, well, in fact, DeSantis was, was behind a lot of the campaign. And um, a very interesting thing happened. Gillum came out with a major campaign plank or idea. And he said, well, I'm going to raise corporate income taxes by a, by a billion dollars in Florida. And I'm going to use that, those funds to raise public school teacher salaries. Not bad politics when you think about it, right? Who's going to be rooting for the, the, the big corporations, you know, uh, and we're all for teachers, right? Well, a reporter who's very smart stood up at this press conference and said, well, Mr. Mayor, you realize that if you raise corporate income taxes by a billion dollars, they're just going to give it to step up and you just increase the vouchers by a billion dollars. And uh, I don't think he had thought about it, of course. And his, his, re his response was, well, that's a Jeb Bush program. We need to bring it to a conclusion. We need to end it. Oh, so he then advocated ending it. I was going to say, does anybody advocate ending well, it? Well, he, he public, I don't think he had thought that through, but he said, we need to end it. And so that became uh, a campaign slogan for DeSantis, I presume. Oh, yes. Well, how about in the current election? Let me let's let's fast forward here because uh, one more side note DeSantis got, uh, according to CNN exit polls, he got 18% of African American women's vote. And there's no, no, I, I believe there's no reason other than that, what we just discussed, that produced that result. Um, so it, it's a, as I, I think the major theme here is it, it can be a very potent political issue across the aisle. Well, is Chris, uh, he's running against DeSantis, as I recall, in the upcoming election. So is correct? Is this close? Is this is in, in and how is this issue playing currently? Well, um, you know, Charlie Crist, you know, he used to be a Republican. Now he's a Democrat. Um, he was a very, sadly, he was a very strong supporter of choice when he was a Republican governor. In fact, he signed one of the largest expansions of the tax credit program in its history. Um, but uh, now, well, I'll just um, illustrate by action. Um, his running mate is the head of the Miami-Dade Teachers Union. Uh, that speaks volumes about you know, his enthusiasm and support for you know, strong uh, choice programs. And she's a very vocal 
uh, I mean, she has said publicly that these programs should not exist, not, not only private school choice, but you know, charter schools. So that, that doesn't really send a great message to uh, parents that, uh, where, where to, to whom choice is a very major issue. So do you think this is going to be a decisive issue in the, in the election coming? Decisive? Like it was, well, I don't know if it, it's very hard for me to say what was decisive or what will be decisive. Um, I, I don't, there are many other issues uh, and, and many other contrasts between the two candidates, but this is certainly a, a big one. It's hard, it's hard to say what will be the biggest. Well, so um, is this going, does this have any end? You talked about school choice is now 50%. Are we going from 50% to 75% in Florida? No, I don't, I, well, it's hard. I, I don't personally think so, um, but it's hard for me to say. I'm, I'm, of course, I'm personally agnostic as to where children go to school or, or if they even go to a building to learn. Uh, you know, a lot of kids during the pandemic and families learned how to, uh, customized educations to a large degree. We could talk about that. Um, you know, to, to me, the most interesting place to look is Miami. The, in Florida, every county is a school district, unlike other states like Texas, which I think has like 2,000 of them. Every, every county in Florida is a school district. So we have some very large ones. Miami-Dade is the largest. Miami-Dade has uh, what's well, it's now it's the third largest school district in the country. That percentage in Miami-Dade of kids who are now taxpayer funded but not attending their zone school is now over 70%. It's fascinating. It, I believe that Miami-Dade is the freest market for K-12 education in the country. Well, it also has some of the highest test score performances when you compare it to other cities around yes. the country. It, yes, it, it is. It is out. the best performing, best performing large urban district in the country, and I believe that the, the choice element is one of the major reasons for that. And I give a ton of credit to the former superintendent Alberto Cavallo, who's you know on the board of, of your organization. Um, he never feared or or denounced choice. He embraced it. And from the day he became superintendent, he, he made public strong statements. I, I can cite them from memory. I mean, one of them was, choice is a wave. I'd rather ride it than be crushed by it. Uh, I mean, you can't make a stronger statement than that. And he also, I can't remember the exact words, but he said, I'm not afraid of choice because we as a district will offer our parents choices that they want to take. And he did exactly that. He, they created over 100 magnet schools in Dade County, and some of them are ranked as some of the, the best high schools in the country. So I, I guess my wish is that other superintendents across the country, and even sometimes in our state still, would look at the lesson of Miami-Dade and say, look, choice is not something to fear. It's something to embrace. It's, it's really, an, I think, inevitable but it, it's not something to fear. It, it, it can be a win for everyone. Well, so how about the other educational issues that are out there these days? We have all kinds of talk about the curriculum, the teaching of slavery, the teaching of patriotism, uh, the uh, uh, treatment of uh, students who are from transgender backgrounds. This, is, this has been a big conversation nationwide. Is this affecting 
parents' assessments of where they want their children to go to school? Is this, is this part of the story in Florida now, or, or is that just not something that's in your state? Well, it, it affects us less here because we have so much choice. And I, 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 I saw this coming five years ago when these conversations first began about curriculum and, and other things. You know, I, I kind of feel for the districts because they have to make judgment calls about curriculum. And you're not going to be able to please everyone. Uh, it's, it's very hard to, con for example, to construct a curriculum for American history that is going to please the entire political spectrum from the far left to the far right. I mean, I don't know how I would do that. So the answer to that dilemma is choice. Let parents choose where their child will be educated because someone who, if you disagree with how your assigned school is teaching, I don't know, American history or anything, surely if, if, if choice is prevalent, there will be a school out there, or if there's not, there will be created one that teaches American history in a way that you agree and that you think will educate your child to be a productive citizen. I, I really think that these, the answer to all these battles is choice. Well, you just mentioned creating a new one, and that's always been an issue for private education because, yes, the Catholic schools were established in the 19th century, and you've had additional schools, and some of the elite schools date back to the 18th century. And so you've got a long history of private education, but expanding private education, starting a new school, creating a new school, that's not so easily done. Do you have a lot of new schools in Florida that have uh, developed in response? Oh, yes. And this is this is one of the most encouraging things that I've seen over the last 20 years. There has been a tremendous number of new private schools created, and, and it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, it's 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 it follows the laws of supply and demand. There's always been a demand for alternatives, but the demand just wasn't funded. What we did in Florida is we funded that demand on the part of parents. You know, 20 years, 30 years ago, only parents that had a lot of money could, you know, just afford to make a decision. So yeah, there were schools that were out there for them. And, you know, as you pointed out, there were some charitable efforts, you know, Catholic schools and others. Well, now, you know, we have, well, let me back up. So in Florida now, almost 80% of the kids in the, in the public schools are eligible for the private school choice programs on an income level. And then of course we have a, a program for kids with, with unique abilities as well. And so there is a strong funded demand now. And so we do see a very large number of new private schools being created. And one of the most encouraging things and one of the one of the messages that Step Up is working very hard to communicate is we know that choice is good for students and families. We have very objective evidence, which your group has been a part of, showing that it benefits the public schools and their performance. What we're learning is 
choice benefits public school teachers. How? Well, actually, it's, it's enabling many of them to become educational entrepreneurs. Step Up just published a series uh, of, of videos and papers uh, that I hope you guys can help us publicize talking about this phenomena of public school teachers who are leaving the public schools, not because you know, of any bad reasons, they just, they wanna be entrepreneurs, they wanna do their own thing. And they're starting new private schools and they can do so in even the lowest income areas because parents now can bring with them. You know, in Florida, the, the, the private school scholarships, the non-special needs one, is gonna be probably on average about $8,000 this year. And so if every kid, even in the poorest area, can bring with them $8,000, we are finding that that's enough for creative uh, entrepreneurship on the part of public school teachers. And you see these tremendous stories of, 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 of these, of these you know, wonderful teachers who are realizing their dream of opening their own school. It's, I think it's one of the untold stories in the whole choice movement. Well, that's uh, it's exciting, but it does invite the question, how about, uh, you know, programs that are really not uh, proper educational institutions? Are you, are you worried about that? It, it, has, has that happened where charlatans have gotten involved and said, yes, there's $8,000 on the table there for every student. I'm going to get some of that for myself. Florida, I believe, has done a very good job. The legislature and the governor, governors have done a very good job of designing our school choice laws such that there is a tremendous amount of accountability, both academic, financial, uh, and, and other. On the academic side, uh, every kid who takes one of the income-based uh, private school scholarships, by law, must be given a standardized test, either the state assessment or another one that's approved by the Florida Department of Education. There's, I think there's about seven of them, but they're all the major ones that you guys know. They have to give, they have to give by law a, 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 one of those tests to every one of their scholarship students. And then they have to report those schools, I'm sorry, those scores to Florida State University, who every year online publishes a report showing how the kids are doing as a whole, and then down to the school level without violating privacy laws. So you can go, Paul, you can go online and say, you know, I want to, I, I just drove by this private school over here. Uh, you know, I, I, I heard that they take, you know, a hundred scholarship kids. I wonder how those kids are doing. You can go and figure that out. Um, and then on the financial side, financial accountability for schools, uh, if you're a startup school, you have to have a surety bond for one semester's worth of, of tuition, such that if, you know, whether it be through fraud, hopefully not, or just mismanagement or just bad luck, you know, school doesn't make it. Uh, the state is protected in terms of the tuition. Uh, and then if you take uh, on an annual basis $250,000 worth of scholarship kids, then you must, again, by law, uh, get a legitimate third-party CPA come and look at your books and evaluate certain aspects of your books and submit that report to the state. And if, if you don't do these things, you're out. They kick you out, and, and it has happened. I mean, there have been uh, some schools. I, I don't cannot not fathom why. I mean, I can, maybe once every ten years that don't comply with the testing regime. And to their credit, the Florida DOE they'll kick them out, and they're quick to do it. Um, so, 
to answer your question, look, um, I think Florida, th there's, a, there's a spectrum of account accountability on one end and uh, the free market on the other, right? And you know, the, the, the key here is if you, if you have way too much, what, what, I guess I would call it regulatory accountability on one end, then, then you're gonna smother innovation. You're not gonna have any of these wonderful new schools that I just talked about that public school teachers have started. And you won't have the growth uh, of, of, of existing schools taking kids. And a great example of that in real life, which you probably remember was with, with all good intentions, the Louisiana legislature created a voucher program many years ago. And they said, well, you, know, you, you can't take more than you know, a certain percentage of kids on the on the scholarship program, well, that eliminates the start of school, right? It, it, by definition, you can't start a school and to serve scholarship kids. Uh, and then it and then the law said, well, and if you don't, if you can't show you know this amount of learning gains within you know X number of years, we're going to kick you out of the program. Well, what does that do? That prevents the private schools from taking the hardest case kids because they don't want to take a risk on them. So there are un, there are unintended consequences of some of these regulatory accountability measures that we have to be careful of. But of course, on the other end, you don't wanna have a complete wild west because in that case, you'll have you know, much, many more instances of, of fraud or abuse. I think in Florida, we've, we've established a wonderful medium of very strong fiscal and academic accountability. And then you know, we also have things like the law states that every single person at a private school serving scholarship kids who comes in contact with kids has to go through the same background checks as public school employees. So there are non-financial, non-academic accountability measures as well. Well, all of this has uh, led Florida to uh, show much more improvement uh, in its educational system than uh, most states in the country. In fact, I think, I, I can't remember for sure if it's Arizona or Florida that's the number one improving state in the country. I suppose it depends on what statistics you use. Yeah, well, it depends on what time period you look at. and. Uh, to, to declare or to give detail on that, in 1998, there were, I believe, only 37 states that gave the NAEP National Assessment of Educational Progress. Florida was 35th, not so great. And in 2018, we were fifth. And if you adjust for income, we're number one, because you know the states that are ahead of us are wealthier than we are. But even if you don't adjust for income, we're, we're number five, 35th to fifth during this time period when choice was gaining a stronger and stronger foothold in the state. I can't, Paul, I can't tell you how many times, every time we pass a school choice law here, there'd be some newspaper that said, this is the end of public education. This is the end of our public schools. And what, what has happened on the contrary is that our public schools to their credit have answered the challenge, have seen the competition, and have improved tremendously. And that's what I have personally- But isn't this taking happen. money away from the public schools? That is what I hear from teacher organizations again and again. Uh, it's taking money away. How, how do you respond to that criticism? It's a very uh, well, first powerful of all, criticism. A lot of people- Oh, of course. It's not for uh, me. Well, the first thing- I, Money away, yeah. The first thing I say is I, I would rather fund students than systems. And then I would tell them that, you know, public education is the goal. It's not a system of unionized employees and buildings. But then, you know, you can also cite statistics like the fact that 
for example, in Miami-Dade County, and that, and I, I love that's one of my favorite districts. I'm not picking on them, and I'm not saying it's wrong. If you if you look at per pupil spending, it's right around fifteen thousand dollars per kid, and I'm not saying that's what it shouldn't be. Maybe, I, I just don't know. Maybe it shouldn't be higher, but the scholarships are about half that. So, if you if you do what the union tried to do when they the U, Florida Teachers Union in 2013 filed a lawsuit asking the courts to shut down the scholarship program, step up for students, and evict at the time 80,000 kids, poor kids, mainly minority kids from their schools. They said, do it, shut it down, kick them out. Well, you know, if you did that, and, you know, we have, gosh, now probably 40,000 kids in Miami-Dade on our program. Okay. What's going to happen the next day after you shut down this program? Those 40,000 kids are going to flood back into the Miami-Dade School District. There'd be chaos. There's no place for them to go, and it would cost the citizens more money. I don't see how that's a productive exercise. Well, I think that uh, this argument gets, gets pretty weak once you, uh, once you get to the size and extent of programs that, that you have in Florida. But... Uh, it, it's probably still going to be part of the conversation out there. But um, John, this is an exciting story that you've laid out there in Florida. I thank you very much for joining me on the, on the Education Exchange. Uh, it's an honor, and I hope to see you soon. I've been speaking with John Curley, the founder and chair of the board of Step Up for Students. It plays a key role in sustaining Florida's tax credit scholarship program. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.